Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello, today is March 28th, 2019. Charles Marshall back here again, hosting, and I have uh, the ultimate readout, Bill Padalo, for breaking down an important topic today. He will be discussing uh, how custodians really typically do not hold original notes. And that is a big issue in both non-judicial and judicial foreclosure cases. So shortly, Bill will be jumping into that important topic. And also on today's show, I will be looking at the recent Abdusky ruling. That's the Supreme Court ruling very recent, decided just uh, last week, March 20th, and Neil touched on that in uh, the, uh, the Neil Garfield show last, last Thursday, and he addressed particularly the aspect of the ruling which will further empower attorneys to simply put pedal to the metal in their confrontations with borrowers over the, the mortgages at issue, whether these are judicial foreclosure, but particularly non-judicial foreclosure uh, matters. And I will be addressing today how this FDCPA holding is really going to limit, at least in theory, plaintiff's rights here in California, borrower plaintiff rights, in California and other non-judicial foreclosure arenas. I'm broadcasting live from Southern California. Uh, This show, as always, is brought to you by GTC Honors, Living Lies, Amgar, and LendingLies.com. And it is made possible because of donations from listeners like you. Neil thanks you. I thank you. Any amount you're able to, and you can donate directly by selecting the donate button on the blog at www.livinglies.wordpress.com. Now, Bill, let's uh, let's dive right in here. If you could tell our listeners about some of your 
more interesting findings related to this whole question of whether custodians really do hold the original notes. And I know you blogged about it recently on your blog on March 26th. So if you could uh, jump right in uh, to address the audience now. Thank you. Yeah, sure, Charles. Um, thanks for having me on again as usual. Um, Absolutely. So I posted an article yesterday. Um, and again, I'm citing to some information that I'm coming across on personal cases that I'm investigating. And we've known and I've talked about and blogged, and I've talked about this on radio broadcasts many times, I'm sure, uh, that when it comes to the custodial history of the original notes, the chain of custody, there typically is never any witnesses. Um, well, they're not none, I guess I should really say that ever come forth with any personal knowledge, whoever can attest to uh, the note being original and authentic since its beginning or its inception. What you typically have is a servicer who comes in uh, after being maybe the third, fourth, fifth servicer somewhere down the line, and they board this loan and for getting it prepped for foreclosure proceedings, and then they issue their certification attestation, whatever you want to call it, swearing that uh, the note that they're providing for the case is original. Even though uh, when they get deposed or you get into uh, very specific discovery, they can't explain where that note has been for the last you know, 10, 12, 13 years uh, or whatever since it was claimed to have gone and by way of a securitized trust. So I love it when I get information that kind of exposes what's really going on when it comes from the horse's mouth. And when I say that, I've, uh, I get a letter uh, that I'm looking at in the file in the case that comes from U.S. Bank, who is acting as a custodian as well as the trustee for a Bank of America Funding Corp. 2006 Series Trust. And the letter comes uh, in response to a subpoena where it was being sought, uh, the information as custodian as to the whereabouts of the original note, possession of the original uh, original note, etc. And the language that comes back falls right directly in line with uh, what I've been saying for years and what all the evidence points to, that the original notes uh, were mainly or mostly destroyed upon the origination years and years ago, and that they're coming forward with simply image copies uh, from their servicing platform systems, printed out, endorsements are being placed on those imaged copies, and they're being certified and sworn to and attested to that, that these are the original documents. Well, the U.S. Bank letter says, and I'm just going to quote a line right out of there because it just jumped right off the page at me, as custodian... U.S. Bank typically maintains copies of the original collateral file, i.e. note, mortgage, and title policy. Note that they do not say that they, as a custodian, they maintain copies of the, or they maintain the original collateral files. Okay, they say very specifically copies. And it's never explained. Uh where the original is, okay? You're maintaining a copy. You're the custodian. This particular trust states in its governing instrument, the PSA, that when this particular trust closed in 2006, 
the custodian was to have certified that it received the original mortgage note endorsed in blank, so on and so forth. So they were to have certified that they had received that original. But that's not what they're saying, and, they're, and that's not what they will attest to. So you will never see any custodian come in and offer testimony by way of written testimony, verbal testimony of any sort that they are holding that original and, and they can explain uh, that it's been in their custody, control, vault, whatever you want to call it, since the time it, that they received it, so on and so forth. So you'll never see any of the certifications uh, that are attached to the PSAs that um, they were to have executed, notarized, and everything else. None of this exists. Okay. So in conjunction with this letter, it's very interesting uh, that I come upon a um, mortgage loan sale purchase agreement between entities that are selling and dealing with these with non-performing loans. And they basically spell out exactly what they're doing. I mean, it's all there for everyone to see. It's not even a, hardly a mystery anymore. So I'm going to read an excerpt from the section of the mortgage loan purchase agreement regarding Section 203, the delivery of collateral documents. So the seller in this particular case uh, is selling to the purchaser, and, and it says, the purchaser acknowledges that the sellers may, <coughs> excuse me, may deliver a mortgage note for which the chain of endorsements is not identical to that of the intervening assignments of mortgage. All right, so that's the first part. So they're basically saying, we're going to deliver you a mortgage note, and the the endorsements are probably not going to match up with the assignments. So they're saying right there the chain of title is very likely it's defective. And then they go on to say that the intervening assignments of the mortgage may not be identical to the chain of endorsements with respect to the note. So they're saying, chain of title could be all screwed up on this stuff. Okay, we're not, that's what we're going to be giving you. But what's really clear is it says, furthermore, the purchaser acknowledges that any of the foregoing documents may be executed or issued electronically as customary in the industry and are considered to be original documents. Okay, so here you have them admitting they're going to be the purchaser is buying electronic goods here. These are documents that are simply sent over by the click of a switch. The chains of title are going to be all messed up, uh, they, and so on and so forth. And then they say and basically give themselves the right, so to speak, to say that these documents are be, to be considered original. Now, why I think that's important, Charles, and maybe you can comment on this in a bit, is that when the service or witnesses come in and testify, they universally will say, I got my information from a computer screen, or I pulled up the collateral file, or I read the trust documents, I read this and that. Everything that they attest to is from the records they're reading in the system. So when they say, and I will just, I'm going to guess here for like a case like this, the witness would say, that's the original note. 
Well, how do you know that's the original note? It's just, well, that's what my system says. All right. So because these parties who created these documents put language into the contracts that basically say, you know, we're going to give you a copy, but go, but it's, that's to be deemed original. So you can go ahead and call it original. That seems to give them the right uh, as a, you know, a, a witness working and call that a, a business record, I guess, to say, well, that, that's what the computer says. It says that I can call that original. This is the kind of games that they're playing and getting away with. But which is, which is even more absurd in this chain of documents in this case is that you have uh, another snippet about the power of attorney that the seller is going to grant the purchaser. And the power of attorney documents that I'm reviewing for it, they say right in there that these defective chains of titles, and, and this is nothing new, I've talked about this many times, but they say that the seller says, go ahead, purchaser, I'm going to give you all these defective goods, and you can prepare endorsements to the notes that you're printing off, these copies of the notes that we're providing you. You can go and correct uh, any of the chain of titles, defects, deficiencies as you see fit, and prepare the endorsements to the notes. All right, so, so these are the games they're playing when they always throw the, you know, the power of attorney, attorney in fact language in there, and and again the language saying these are these are original. So my point, it's 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 so absurd because if you've heard of the childhood game button button who's got the button right you have a bunch of kids that are gathered around in a circle and someone places a button in one of the child's hands behind their back and then you have to guess who's got the button well this is the equivalent of playing that game only those service or witnesses are saying the custodian is holding the button but then when you go to the custodian that custodian has nothing in their hands. They remain silent, and they'll never attest to anything other than admitting they're just, they hold copies. So, I, you know, if, if this is the way it is, what's the difference, you know, if a client gets a QWR response, for example, and they say, here's a copy of your note, and they use that copy in court, or they give that copy to me, for example. I mean, am I not a holder and now custodian pretty much of that note? That note gets passed around in the cyber world. It's, you know, once, once it's out in the cyber world, I mean, anybody can have access to it, okay? There's no difference. It's just copies of this thing floating everywhere out there in the cyber world so that pretty much anybody could have the same knowledge of that copy as the people that are bringing them in and presenting them into court. So, you know, this whole thing I believe, and I'm going to harp on this forever because this is illegal, There, and, and just because it's become institutionalized, as Neil says, that they're basically turning their head and universally ignoring this doesn't change the fact that it's illegal. And I'm going to keep pointing to this stuff, and I'm going to keep pounding on this stuff, because the minute you just give up and walk away and just allow it to just continue so pervasive the way it has been, I mean, that if you surrender, I mean, we're doomed. I mean, for, on many levels, not just in foreclosure world, but if you can just get away with widespread perjury, lying, and f document fabrication when it comes to debts and whatnot and collection, I mean, 
this look out, boy, the future is going to be really uh, nasty, and we're getting that. We're we're, we're heading in that direction, but. Um, this goes to the heart of standing, right? If you were going to file a complaint, especially in a foreclosure state like Florida, for example, it's you have it's presumed you have to have the original note, and and this is why tens of thousands of these cases in foreclosures, technically, they don't have the original notes. They can't produce evidence to show it, and you have admissions that they only have copies, and yet they're still being granted standing. It is extraordinary. And uh, the thing that strikes me is, as you know, unlike, unlike you and Neil, I litigate exclusively in the non-judicial arena, though I actually do handle judicial foreclosure cases occasionally. Uh, but the vast majority of my caseload related to foreclosure is non-judicial related. Nevertheless, what strikes me in that arena is how oftentimes, even if the case is going to trial, uh, you know, over the years in those foreclosure plaintiff's cases in California, where I have gotten uh, a number of times, uh, many if you added it all up over the years, past demure and past other motions and the case is headed to trial, it is still the case that uh, while, while a number of those cases settle before being, you know, let's say weeks away from trial, sometimes they even settle weeks away from trial. What I've also seen, and I've seen unfortunately more frequently over the last couple of years, is that the you know, these types of cases are often uh, dismissed on summary judgment motions here in California. And in my experience, the, the description you're giving is exactly what's happening in litigation here in California. I think it's happening in a lot of non-judicial foreclosure venues as well, where the creditor never asked to produce the original note, even in a summary judgment proceeding where you're supposed to come forward with definitive evidence and conclusive evidence. And there are, there are ways of referencing, of course, that the actual, but short of showing up to the hearing with the actual copy or the actual, I should say, original note, if they really do possess the original their ways of referencing that custodial uh, arrangement by making specific reference to coordinates of where it's held, how it's held, the secure uh, methods that have been taken to secure its, its status as the original note. And essentially that doesn't happen in non-judicial foreclosure litigation in California. And uh, I am under the impression and have gotten intel that it doesn't happen in other non-judicial foreclosure states as well. I'm hearing you say potentially, Bill, that even in judicial foreclosure states, uh, coming to uh, into the trial or if they try to bring a summary judgment from the plaintiff's side, I'm hearing you say they're not 
tasked with producing that. Is that basically what you're saying? Well, no, they're, they're tasks, but when you challenge and rebut the authenticity of that note and the custodial history and you say, I don't believe that's the original note, uh, and you actually get into depositions, you actually get into, uh, you know, you, you create this barrier where they can't get past that obstacle, okay? When they talk, when you try to get into, and this is one of the jo- the roles that I play, is right as I'm exposing the gaps in the custodial history, the chain of custody to these things, saying, look, how can an attorney, for example, uh, who are I find executing these affidavits saying that the notes are original, how can an attorney or even these servicer witnesses come in and say say that that's the original note, and I have a gap of eight, ten, twelve years where they can't explain where that note's been or where they got it. And so when you go back to the origins of the note, and even if you were to read if it's alleged to be in a trust, you point to the custodial uh, language in that PSA and say, okay, well, a custodian was, for example, U.S. Bank, okay? If that plaintiff really owns this loan, that had to have been delivered. The original note had to be delivered to the custodian, U.S. Bank, and that's what's supposed to be certified. But we're missing that. Okay, these documents are incomplete. There is no certification. There's no testimony by the uh, custodian itself. I just have a servicer who's just presenting this thing saying, here, this is the original. Take my word for it. Okay? But now, you know, you have these little admissions, so to speak, where the language is very clear. We maintain copies. Okay? But that doesn't explain where the original note is and who has that, all right? And, and you'll never get to that. You'll never get to that point. So, at, so when you challenge it and they can't overcome their burden, it just seems that, that the courts will take a giant leap of faith and say at the end of the day there's a debt and, I don't, you know, and I'm going to just uh, uh, believe that this is the original note. So, I, you know, for example, I, I got a case right now. It's up on summary judgment in a non-judicial. It's up in Washington State. And I basically pointed out that the note that they're using has all these deficiencies. It's not the original note. I'm showing all this evidence. And their response is, and we want to inspect, okay? We want to bring in an expert to look at and actually do an examination of that note. There's plenty of time. The opposition uh, bank attorneys say, you don't, you don't have a right to, to inspect it. We're going to show up at the summary judgment hearing, and we'll let the judge inspect it. Okay? It's just it's ridiculous. Let, let the judge inspect uh, a note when we're claiming that it's, it's not authentic. Um, and so this is how they shelter and get away with it. Oh, yeah, that last of having the judge inspect it. I mean, uh, the inspection is to take place between the parties as both a procedural and a substantive matter during the course of litigation, including at trial. The judge's role really is to sift the evidence and, yes, ultimately make a rendering, make a ruling on the legitimacy of what's being presented. But the notion that the judge, him or herself, should weigh in in an evidentiary way uh, regarding the authenticity of the note. That's not the judge's role. The judge's role is to assess the evidence that was presented by both sides. And one would think, particularly in judicial foreclosure context, where the institutional servicer slash lender 
you know, nominal holder, paper, paper holder in due course, which, of course, they, they really are not really, but they're representing that they are. That's the party who's supposed to come in with the original. And I, I, I hear you saying that that's not what uh, courts are holding, holding the parties to, and that's, that's disturbing, hits the, 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 uh, the title of this show. Particularly uh, disturbing is, is what, just circling back to the beginning of what you were discussing in this show, I'm just reminding listeners, effectively you're saying that these, these notes are destroyed at the early stages since the destroyers know that they can get away with using copies. I mean, that's basically what you're saying, correct? Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced that a vast majority, I can't, if I had a guess, I would I would say Neil, when he posted 95%, I would say that's pretty accurate. During this, and I'm saying during this time period that we're dealing with here, usually in the, the, the 2000s leading up to the crash, that, that they were destroyed. And, and the only parties with personal knowledge uh, as to where the, the whereabouts of the originals are those who destroyed them and those who scanned the originals into the computer systems at the time that they uh, were received shortly after closing. Um, other than that, uh, it's, anybody's, it's anybody's guess. All the testimony of these documents being original, I mean, I, I look at it just, you know, obviously from a law enforcement, private law enforcement, and even my old uh, police eyes from the days I was a cop. In terms of evidence, it's, it's laughable to have somebody come in and and authenticate a document and say that's original when you could not possibly have any knowledge of of that document being original when you can't even explain where it's been for years and years and years or whose hands well, it's gone through. Uh, so it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of kabuki theater. I really appreciate oh, yeah. your input on that. I am going to just spend just a couple minutes or so here. Uh, breaking down some aspects to the Abdusky uh, ruling. Remember, that's the Supreme Court ruling that recently came out just last week, in which uh, the justices decided that, in essence, the FDCPA does not, you know, the Fair Debt Collections, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, it does not apply in uh, mortgage lending context typically and they particularly come to this conclusion related to first lien mortgages nevertheless the, the, the broad scope and scape of the of the ruling is that the FDCPA does not apply to uh, mortgage lending and that's an extraordinary ruling uh, what, what's interesting in the Sotomayor uh, concurrence is she cites the majority's opinion saying, as the court makes clear, quote, enforcing a security interest does not grant an, an actor blanket immunity from, from the, uh, that's the quoted portion, mandates of the FDCPA. Yet the decision itself lies in the face of that very language. As much as this court, particularly in the concurrence, seems to be uh, indicating that the FDCPA still has some potential play uh, in mortgage lending around the country, the actual holding flies in the face of that. And the actual holding is to the effect that 
the kinds of notices and consumer bona fides that are put forward and notices of foreclosure all around the country that to the extent that those were required by the FDCPA, previously they will not be required now. I mean, this is a huge development. For one, it's, it's going to mean that in plaintiff's cases in California, uh, where borrowers are trying to hold services and lenders accountable for taking their properties to sale without proper authority, in essence, this is saying the FDCPA is a dead letter. We'll have to see if that holds up, but that is how it appears. And the other profound development here is that it's going to mean that the notice requirements are going to be minimal. There is an architecture for that under the California Homeowner Bill of Rights. I, of course, will continue to appeal to that in my own cases for clients. Uh, And that's all we have time for today. You will be back next week. And thank you, Bill. Uh, Thank you, Charles. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.